0: Welcome to this podcast from We Thrive, the web-based tool to improve motivation, engagement and staff retention by finding out what's getting in the way of work satisfaction so your managers can do something about it. Previously, we've gone through the order of holding conversations and looked at some of the language considerations, but now let's consider the problem of blame. When things go wrong, it's always tempting to focus on the past. How often do you see someone trying to change the past, saying to a junior, why did you do that? Or what did you think was going to happen? You can see why people might want to say these things, especially when they've been inconvenienced. But the thing that went wrong has already happened, and much as we wish it hadn't, it's not going to change. What does have to change is the way the person concerned behaves in the future. This means they'll have to learn something new. But the necessary learning won't happen if they're upset. The more emotional people are, the less intelligent they become. So learning a more successful kind of behaviour depends on their feeling reasonably calm, even when something has gone wrong. A no-blame culture is one of the best ways to reduce upset and defensiveness and improve the chance of people learning when things have gone wrong. Many workplaces think they have a no-blame culture because they've written it in a policy, but the one sure way to create one is to change from the ground up the way emotive words, including right and wrong, are used. So here are some things to avoid. 1. Avoid right, wrong, good, bad, and all the rest of them. Of course. Why these words? Because these are emotionally loaded words that attack the individual they're aimed at, rather than their behaviour, and that generates resentment and reduces intelligence. If you want to change behaviour, stick to phrases like, what works, and what needs to work better, keeping the person out of it, at least at the beginning of a conversation. Avoid saying you in a negative context. You cause this, for example. Saying you like this is a finger wag, it's a verbal finger wag, sending blame through the air towards the recipient and generating unhelpful emotion that will cloud their thought, create resentment and prevent learning. Avoid asking questions like, why didn't you, etc., as it will make people feel stupid, reduce their confidence. And confidence is a key resource that they're going to need when building their improved behaviour for the future. So, some things to practice regularly whenever in a conversation where something's gone wrong. Wherever possible, find some good in the situation. Talk about something that has worked, at least at the start of the conversation. This generates some positive feelings, raises confidence, and lets people know that this is going to be a serious attempt to improve the future, not a blame-fest about the past. Be very careful about how you bring personalities into the situation. Ask, what did not work so well, leaving you out of it at the start? Then you can ask, what could we do to get it working better, if you genuinely intend to do this as a team effort, or what could be done to make it work better, if in fact they're going to be on their own. Using we, when you don't really mean we, is false teaming and it leaves people feeling let down. Don't blame, but do give credit. Let them suggest better ways of working whenever possible, and give credit when they've suggested something that could work. Make sure it sticks by getting them to rehearse the idea in their head, and then be sure to witness the new behaviour at work and thank them for the improvement. Now, there will always be times when nothing works, or when there is no way to prevent emotion shutting down thought because it's already happened. So let's suppose you've got there too late to head off the problem at the pass, someone's already cross and the situation is unpleasant. Maybe you'd like to talk about it, but there's no way that's going to be useful. As Dave Grossman says in On Killing, you might as well try to argue with your dog. So, what to do? Here are some steps with the principles that they rest on. Sometimes it's best to let things wait a while, so unless you're a trained negotiator with extensive life insurance, use them with caution. First, beware, because emotion is contagious. Keep a grip on how you're thinking and feeling and be prepared to get out of the situation if you feel you're getting wound up by it. No one will be served by you getting too involved emotionally and you don't want to end up with two idiots in the room. Second, read the emotion. Remember, when people are cross, their thinking closes down into a much simpler mode, similar in all probability to the earlier primates we're related to, such as the chimpanzees. So, while the causes of difficulty might be down to a long and complex historic situation, the present emotion will be fairly simple and probably a shade of anger. 3. Build rapport. Now, as we've said before, the first step is not to start talking about the problem, but to make a connection with another human being. Angry people are usually tense, active and loud, Speaking calmly, rationally and quietly is the best way of saying I'm not interested in you to the upset person. Of course, you don't want to escalate the situation either, so we recommend going part way to where the other person is. Be active and interested, but not competitive or threatening, and talk about something else until you feel they're making eye contact and a normal rhythm of conversation has begun. 4. Hear the cause of the upset. When you're talking about your own problems to someone close to you, How do you know that they've heard you? Sometimes you can tell from their eyes, shape of their mouth, the way they hold their head, or the tone of their voice. It's not always a result of their saying, OK, I know what you mean, but a number of other non-verbal signals. So think, if you were angry and upset about something, how would you expect people who care about you to look? That's what's needed to show that you hear the other person. 5. Reflect what you hear so that they know you're in communication with them. Bear in mind what emotion is present and how they must be feeling. So if someone says, I can't believe you've put me on weekends again, and you know they were hoping to go fishing, you might start by saying, I know this is really frustrating, rather than, it's in your contract, because hearing their emotion is the first step in getting it to reduce. Remember, you're agreeing with the emotion, not the underlying complaint. 6. Start to reframe. There's a lot of material available on reframing, the art of reframing online, but briefly it moves the conversation from we're here and I'm angry to this is frustrating and I'm looking forward to it being better. So when the emotion has been heard and the other person is starting to look a little less battle ready, you can start to orientate the conversation towards the future. It's frustrating for all of us that we don't have a full time weekend crew and it will work so much more smoothly when we have the new staff in place. Now, note the order of events there. 1. Reflect the underlying emotion. It's frustrating for all of us. 2. Link it to the future with an and, if possible, rather than a but. So it's frustrating for us, and it'll work so much more smoothly. And third, Paint a picture of how the difficulty is going to be resolved. Of course, you do then have to follow up and do what you've said you will, but that's more productive than having angry stuff. 7. The close. The combination of hearing the emotion and the reframing will calm the situation down to some degree. And now the emotion is reduced, you have an opportunity to cement some ideas. Summarise the situation as you see it, checking back periodically to ensure there is agreement. Remember the tell-ask balance. Do this without setting anyone off again. So there was a problem with the rotor, not so you had a problem with the rotor. And there were some tense moments with Fred, not and you flew off the handle. And now the situation is that and here you fill in the positive reframe that you've constructed. Then, next time you see the person concerned, and make it soon, go back and cover the same ground again so that they know you've heard and remember the difficulty, care about them and the problem, and that you want to do something about it. We hope these podcasts have offered some insight on some of the difficulties that arise at work and presented some ideas on what you can do with some of the people, practices and resources to get things on a better track. But however you decide to go about this, remember one thing. The underlying mechanisms and needs of the human being are non-negotiable. You can argue with them, but you cannot win. Companies tend to want everything at once. Raised output and efficiency, staff well-being, better job satisfaction, better staff retention. Sometimes those seem to be incompatible, but they're not in the long run. You can get extra performance out of someone for a while with carrots and sticks, but if you want a sustainable situation where people learn and develop, produce more and stay with the company instead of taking their knowledge and skills elsewhere, You have to meet the underlying needs. If you want to find out how well your organisation does at doing that, We Thrive is here to help. Just go to wethrive.net and set up a trial account. You can survey 10 staff absolutely free, and we're sure that when you have the results and have used the ideas in these podcasts to work through them with the people concerned, you'll want to find out about the rest of the staff. On the resources page of our website, there are PDF versions of these podcasts with further information and reading in them. Please let us know how you've used them. This podcast came from We Thrive, the key to a happy, motivated and engaged team. Find out more at wethrive.net.